Hello and welcome to the Not From This Planet podcast, where we talk about books, writing, publishing and lots of other stuff. Hello and welcome to Not From This Planet podcast. I'm Michelle and today I'm joined by Simon Paul Sutton, who has written the memoir Burglar to Buddha. And the memoir is very transparent and honest little bit dark at times very funny and very intimate and today we're just going to chat a little bit about the writing and publishing process of the book and the story obviously behind the book as well so hi Simon hey Michelle thank you for having me no it's great to have you on you're uh, you're the first author that we've had on our podcast so this is cool um wonderful yeah. I'm the virgin <laughs> which kind of goes well with the whole uh, <laughs> with the whole story of the book right exactly <laughs> Um, so yeah, we just wanted to chat to you a little bit about the book. Obviously the book is going to be out very, very soon. Um, but we have been working on it together for a while now, haven't we? I mean, there would be no book without you. Let's just, let's just be, uh, <laughs> let's just be very clear about that. Uh, yeah, we've had a, a beautiful weaving together, you and I, for a meeting some years ago. And, um, when you said that you wanted to start publishing books, I, uh, and moving away from just self publishing for yourself, because you've obviously, uh, published many books for yourself you were like oh how are you doing with the book and I remember I hadn't even hardly looked at it for a year just kind of in big <laughs> big procrastination mode and doing lots of other pro projects and and then you're you're coming back to me after that time really uh, yeah really fueled up the desire to finish what I'd started and then we've gone on another process for the last I don't know how long that was ago, a, year, <laughs> a, year, a year and a half a ago I think <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we both have very, very busy schedules, don't we? So it's, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been interesting. But I think it's, it's kind of grown and evolved over the, you know, over that period of time, hasn't it? And I think the finished product is definitely, you know, pretty incredible, really, as a culmination of all that effort. Yeah, um, definitely. So the story itself, I mean, obviously, it's your memoir. It's a true story. Um, a few things have been changed to um, protect identities. <laughs> Um, but what was it that inspired you to actually write it all down? Can you tell us a little bit about the process of actually coming to write it? Yes, of course. Yeah, my friend introduced me to a wonderful woman called Julia Cameron and The Artist Way. Some of yep. your listeners and you may know that book, of course. And inside that book, I had been writing journals for some time. And I just enjoyed writing down daily thoughts and what's going on. And she, she introduced me to morning pages, mm -hmm. morning pages being M O U R N I N G, meaning like you die on the page every day and mm -hmm. you, and you have to commit to three pages of a four and then just close the journal. So you write stream of consciousness and close the journal. And this, this process kind of took me into really uncovering so many of the thoughts and feelings and experiences that I'd had that had been lingering in my consciousness. And of course I was very aware of them and I hadn't actually kind of regurgitated them out and onto paper. So that became a kind of cathartic practice practice to write about my past story. And I, I ended up sitting down, I can't remember how many days this, this was over, but it there were, became about 100 pages, wow. or 100 pages of just stories and stream of like well, my past and things I'd had, and, you know, quite some real explicit stories and, 
And at the time I was at, I was also following the acting path. I'd kind of pulled myself out of the, some parts of the lifestyle that I talk about in the book mm-hmm. of crime. And, and uh, I was still, I was still dabbling in drugs and alcohol sort of hedonism, but I was following this acting path. So when I, when I wrote it and it all came out, I kind of didn't ever look at it again for a while, but it was on my computer and then I met some directors and, you know, was getting into film. And I thought, oh, you know, some of the stuff I've written, maybe that would be great in a movie. And yeah. I, I can't remember how long after, but the most, that cathartic process, which enabled me to basically be able to potentially share it. That was the, that, that came after. And mm-hmm. then I remember meeting up with a friend of mine who is a director. And uh, I read him pretty much most of what I'd written and uh, and that led to a very vulnerable uh, afternoon evening where I felt quite 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 bare and quite vulnerable and he didn't know a lot of my past either so that was a, a very interesting moment of just really sharing my truth and he was kind of blown away by some of the stories and the and the characters that I'd written about which I you know the explicitness of what I originally written wrote about I, d- I didn't share some of that in the book because it's, you know, it's kind of about other people as opposed to about my experience. But that was, uh, yeah, that's the answer to your question. That was how it kind of birthed through just cathartic writing and then sharing it once with this guy. And he was like, wow, that's pretty phenomenal. And then uh, I thought, why don't I try and put this into a book? <laughs> 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 that decision, that decision was definitely one that I didn't think would, uh, would create and do what it has done to me in the last seven years. I think that's how a lot of memoirs do start out, isn't it? It's about getting the whatever you've experienced onto the page. There's something about expressing um, the stories and expressing the sort of the trauma as well. I mean, there's a lot of things that you went through that were quite traumatic as well as, you know, quite funny as well. Um, so it's about getting it out on the page. It's about processing it, about understanding it. And yeah, I think quite a lot of memoirs do actually start off that way. And also they often start off in a way that, like with you, it wasn't intended to be a book. You know, it wasn't intended to be something that you were going to put out there into the world. It was more of a process of um, healing, I suppose, for you. Definitely. Um, Yeah. And then, you know, as you continued on your journey and you went from the acting and you turned onto the more sort of spiritual path, um, yeah, I suppose it helps to understand your whole process, your whole journey up to that point. Um, and also the programming. I mean, you talk about the, that a lot in the book that, you know, you really had to deeply look at your programming um, from your environment, from your family, from you, the people that were surrounding you um, and understand all of those things and understand the triggers so that you could then um, heal and move on with your with your life in the way that you wanted to and I think that's a really important part of the book is that you know yes you started off in a life of crime and drugs and living on a council estate but you are actually now creating the life that you want to live without all of that still hanging around in the background which is something that a lot of people do struggle with yeah beautifully beautifully said thank you for articulating it like that I I feel that the word you used was trauma. I think that's a really great mm. point is that when I first started writing it down and even back then, 
when I was on that path to be an actor and so on, I, I really didn't even understand so much about trauma and, mm-hmm. and, and, and how actually, yeah, traumatized I was. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and then when I started to write the book and with your guidance, as you know, and for people listening, I kind of had to kind of mismatch all sorts of different books because, you know, I was writing a book from the place that I was at and then I'd been where I'd been and I had some stories. And you know, when, I, when I first came to Michelle, I kind of had two books, which you know, I, had guy, I did have some advice from somebody else who said, oh, yeah, you could write this book and give advice and give, give people like practices. And, and then I was like, oh, do I want to do that? And, and, and that, that advice, actually, sometimes the advice you get is not always the best advice. So that advice kind of confused me a little bit because I thought, well, I've got a story here, but now this guy's saying that in order to get published, I need to have these like, you know, the reader needs to have something to take away from them, like practices. So, so then I kind of went, went into kind of a conceptual book, as you know, you know this because you pointed it out a few times and then it became... Then we had to re, kind of rewrite that whole part and go, we'll take out these concepts and this and actually what's the story of you here now? And so that then turned into writing kind of another book of linking in those seven years of, of experience and what led me to where, um, you know, where the book takes us up to. Because, of course, the book doesn't take, take us fully up to where I am now. It kind of takes no, us yeah. up to a period w- w- which felt um, good for us to, uh, yeah, to bring it bring it round to so I don't yeah so and and just to weave that back to the trauma point is the amount of times I cried during writing this book and Mm -hmm. through the realizations that I was having and even now as I say I still have emotion moving of the emotion that I hadn't been able to feel was able to be felt through writing the book yes yeah and I think that's that's so so important I mean I know, I mean, I mostly write fiction. But I know that when I'm writing a really sort of, you know, tragic scene or a really you know, sad scene, if I don't feel it as I'm writing it, then I know that the, the reader won't also feel it. But from a point of view of writing something that's actually happened, you know, by you feeling it, not only will the, will the reader feel it as well, and it will help them in their healing because they will be able to process what they're feeling. It actually helps you to move through it um, but the fact that you can still feel it when you read it, I think that's also really important that it's, I, I find that sometimes the words actually transport us to that moment, you know, mm. they tra- transport us back to that memory, back to that point in time. And they help us to, yeah, to, I think that is one of the issues that, you know, most people have these days is that not actually feeling their emotions, not actually feeling the troll, you know, and most of us just kind of want to, just move on just you know close the door forget about that and you know you could have easily have done that you know with everything that you went through you could have just said oh I'm a different person now I'm in a different place I don't need to deal with all of that that's a different life right but in actually revisiting it and actually going back and writing about it and thinking about the experiences and experiencing it again through writing it you've kind of you've gone through a more complete healing process so that you can fully be in the present in the person that you are now you know there isn't yeah there isn't anything sort of still lingering in the background that's still there I mean there might be some things (laughs) but um but yeah it's kind of it's quite important that because otherwise I mean I talked a little bit about this on my other podcast the other day otherwise you get your old life you kind of your old world sort of colliding with your new world you know you find that you know, there's things that just don't match anymore. And when you have that, you end up sort of getting pulled back into that old way of thinking or that old way of being. And, 
yeah unless you do that healing unless you actually revisit all those things and really look at them and experience them then there's that chance that you would end up you know getting this weird mix of the old and the new mm, yeah that's, again i i want to say that's really beautifully expressed because that's exactly it that's exactly it the the similar heals the similar yeah so so there's a ter- there's a, there's kind of a term when you do this deeper self-work and inquiry and we go into our emotions and so on where you know, sometimes we have to go back and feel the pain that we endured again. Yeah. And that's really scary initially because we're like, what? I have to like feel what I went through. Maybe when I was raped or when I was like uh, abused or mm. caused pain too. And it's a real scary concept or idea. So as you said, a lot of people will run away from that, but what yeah. we feel, we heal. And so therefore, and I speak about this in the book, of course, yeah, and so yeah. theref- therefore this, this sense of really being courageous enough to just face what we need to face, we can see it. And actually we, we create a beautiful, compassionate awareness for ourselves. And then that actually feeds out into the others, you know, in whatever the stories are about that may or may not have harmed us. We have a greater awareness and a greater understanding of the experience and therefore, we can allow in that healing f- through a deeper sense of release, like you said, like literally the root yeah. of the, the, the root of the healing, it, it, sorry, the root of the trauma dissolves. It's not like, oh, it's still there. It's still there. And we keep playing out this woundology mm-hmm. over and over and over again. Yeah. It's actually, no, I've actually healed that now. It's, it's resolved. And you know when it's resolved because when another situation comes up like it or somebody says it or you talk about it, there's no longer any, any charge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you yeah. can still feel emotion around it. You can still feel like teary or yes. but there, there isn't that deeper, you know, sort of reaction of, you know, suddenly being that child again or suddenly being in that position again. You can almost almost a sort of um, a more objective view of it, isn't it? You can yeah, see, that, yes, you can see it, but you're not that, you know, that small, the smaller you anymore. You know, you can be like you can have compassion for that person that you were and for what you went through without without i suppose without the trauma i mean i suppose you can feel the emotion without the trauma of the emotion right and then yeah and i want to add add to that that actually you you see it but you're no longer it therefore you can yeah. you can have a feeling of it but the stories are no longer attached to the feeling yes. yeah and yeah. Th- this is really a vital part so even just the other day i was reading uh, the book you've asked me to look at some parts of the book and and uh, and so on for mm for sharing some sound bites and there's a sense of moments where I read it and, and it's like, you know, just, just emotion moves. And it, it's kind of like almost, it's not even to name that emotion anymore. It's not like, Oh, that's sadness or that's anger or that's yeah. joy or that's elation. It's just like, wow, look, I'm just feeling. <laughs> yeah. And it's beautiful. Yeah. There's like a, there's an allowing in the, in the movement of whatever wants to, uh, to arise. And, and if that's tears, it's beautiful. And if it's laughter, it's, you know, and it's just all then, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just allowed life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, obviously, you know, one of the reasons for publishing it. So, I mean, one of the reasons for putting it out into the public, because I mean, you know, a lot of it is very intimate. It is very, <laughs> um, you know, very transparent, very honest. And, um, you know, I know with memoirs, it can be tricky sometimes to actually put, I mean, you're basically bearing yourself to the world. Um, and that can be quite difficult, but at the same time, that raw, vulnerable honesty 
really then help somebody else who might be in a similar situation to what you've experienced and what you've described to understand what they're going through maybe to talk to somebody about it or just to find their own way of healing through what you've written because I mean you do basically I mean we t- you talk about the hero's journey in the book and you do go on this massive epic <laughs> um, adventure if you like um, and you do change quite dramatically it's not just a sort of slight character change from beginning to end I mean you you do become this whole new person um, and I think that in itself is inspiring to people to think you know I might be in the situation now but anything is possible like I literally could become a completely different person just as Simon does in the book right. <laughs> um, and we can get that inspiration from fiction obviously you know most stories follow this hero's journey sort of formula but I think when it's a real situation I know when I've read memoirs of real people it is you know it's sort of even more inspiring because some of the things that happen are even crazier than in fiction <laughs> and you think goodness if somebody can experience all of that if they can come from there if they can go through all those different you know traumas experiences whatever and yet still come out the other end you know as this completely different person then it is entirely possible for me to do that as well exactly yes i write i, I think i write at some point in the book i i share that this story in essence, is for nobody other than myself. Yeah. But when yeah. but when I write that, it's exactly what you just said. Is that through taking that responsibility to to face and own what I've had to face and own, and to be able to share that. Of course, you know me. I love supporting others. I love mm-hmm. inspiring others. I love I love the potential of the human experience. I love what that we can you know, overcome adversity. And, and when we have other, others around us, like people have inspired me along the way and, and I've read their stories. And like you say, it might maybe fiction, maybe nonfiction, but like when you, when you do feel somebody's real life story, I, I remember, for example, there was a documentary once uh, I watched called May I Be Frank. I don't know if you've ever seen that. And no, I haven't. I, it's a phenomenal story of this, uh, Italian guy in uh, in America, and he kind of gets taken on this juice fast, right? With these right. guy, with these guys at um, Gratitude Cafe, and he he's oh, I've been... been to the Gratitude Cafe. Yes, yes, yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah, cool. So they they made this kind of independent documentary following this very unique being, and he was addicted to cocaine, and he you know he's wow. got a whole a whole history, and they take him on his journey, and you just. You just watch his story and it's like they're really filming him in the moment. It's not like, it's no, this is no actor playing him. It's yeah, him. Yeah. It's real like raw, independent movie making. And I remember after being so touched and I know his life, his life catapulted back, you know, he catapulted back out of that sort of transformation and then he transformed again and he went on his own journey. But I always mm-hmm. remember how that touched me just to see him vulnerably showing up in his rawness yeah yeah and and it, and it being on and it being on film and I, I love you know i love movie uh, f- documentary making for that very reason right it can take us straight into the world of yeah. of of others so yeah i just i just wanted to echo that and agree that it's just there's something very potentially supportive and empowering when we can really relate to another yeah because you know a lot of the subjects that you do talk about in the book you know they're things that no people would just never talk about you know that they'll never sort of admit to or own up to and you know it could be years later you know before they start to process these things and I think 
yeah, it's important to actually to feel, I don't know, in a way, I think the, the book kind of gives you permission, doesn't it, to sort of look at these things and, and accept them and own them and then start to be able to heal them. And that's yes, what a good sort of memoir should do in a way. <laughs> um, There's hopes so, no expectations. It's not yeah. out there yet. I trust your uh, I trust your judgment and I love <laughs> and I love and I love your clear intention I want to jump I want to say something to that and jump in there just yeah. briefly just because what you're saying is is um, we hear the saying the truth will set us free it's a big mm-hmm. saying it's a big you know it's kind of it's got it's got religious you know, connotations, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's driven, you know, it's come from there. And it's irony that it comes from religion because so much of religion is, it does not share truth, right? It's just yeah. a real <laughs> irony. And a lot of people that are religious and follow religion as a form of truth are also deeply embedded in, in, in a wealth of lies and deceit mm-hmm. and so on. So the idea of the truth sets you free until you start to really live your truth and share yeah. your truth and be your truth, you have no clue about that statement. So for me, the transparent communication and being transparent is that when I'm not holding on to anything and I'm not holding back, then there's nothing to lose. Mm -hmm. And so when there's nothing to lose and there's nothing to hold on to, I'm actually freer than I've ever been because I'm free falling into the, what I call the abyss. So therefore I, I've tasted that sampled that so many times that that is what I want my natural state of being to be so I practice transparent communication radical honesty truthfulness in my day-to-day life and it it I can only say that the the payoff the, the 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 receivership from that is immense it's really to even put it into words is very difficult almost limits limits the the feeling the the expansiveness, the openness to life that I get to taste and sample and, and feel is, uh, is really quite something. So it's so rich. It's so full of real ecstasy beyond even the word or the, you know, the drug or the MDMA or anything out there. It's like, it, this is like real, a real taste of what it means to be free. And it can happen through us expressing our truth. And wonderfully for people listening, it may not be that you're at that stage where you, I'm telling you to go today and start speaking your truth. It doesn't work like that. It's like, oh yeah, I just speak my truth. Go tell him what I think, tell him what I think. And ah, you know, that, that's not what I'm talking about when we're talking about transparent communication and truthfulness. It's an inside job. Mm-hmm. This is really, really important point because we often, because um, truthfulness is not brutality. right and people often get this a little bit mixed up well i'm just going to tell you how it is and it gets very brutal and 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 really you know aggressive and angry because because actually the deeper wealth of truth hasn't been experienced inside to feel those emotions of anger rage grief uh, sadness and so on where when you start to feel those and move those a deeper sense of truth arises Mm -hmm. and when that arises it's very, very profound because you have a sense of real compassionate awareness, real empathy for yourself and others and everybody that is out there, you see as a reflection of yourself. So what happens is that you, would, you wouldn't want to be brutal in that, in that case. Mm-hmm. And you, you would want to be 
you'll want to come from a place of transparency and love for you. And, and then that, that actually liberates. I hope that I weave that together. I hope that makes sense. But that's the, yeah, the way I see it. Yeah. And I, and I think as well, a sort of a message from what you've just said is basically, you know, the truth is better than drugs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, start living in your truth and you'll get higher than you ever would on anything, <laughs> <laughs> anything you could take. <laughs> well, it, I, lo- I love that you said that because I actually had a strap line for some time a couple of years ago. I used to do some events called High on Truth. <laughs> And that's, yeah, I mean, that's essentially it, isn't it? You know, somehow through taking drugs, through drinking alcohol, through sort of things that alter our minds, we are, we, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for this deeper, you know, feeling, this, you know, this, this truth, basically. Exactly. Um, and, you know, we're trying to find it through these sort of means, but actually, you know, maybe that's because we're looking for literally the magic pill, you know, and I think that happens a lot with, with illness as well we're, we're always looking for a magic pill when actually the real way to healing and the real way to getting to that you know that feeling of being high and, and happy and energetic is actually to to do the work whether that's mentally emotionally physically you know whether it's looking after our bodies taking care of what we eat you know all these different things actually get us to that point that we're looking for but they do take work you know they do take like I said, do they take an effort? <laughs> I like, I, I love, yeah, I've I, I got tingles as you said that. Actually, my body was started to tingle as you said that because, <laughs> no, really, because it, it, there's work and how you describe it. Yeah, it's a mental, emotional, physical, spiritual. This is the work that we mm-hmm. have to do. And when we go into that, it's it's at first not easy. There's this really, it's really scary. And, and the nervous system has to be trained to be able to go into these spaces where, you know, we can go drink some alcohol, take a pill or, yeah, I think we're getting high on on some substance, right? And and all of a sudden we're like, yeah, we're feeling so open and liberated, and oh, I feel so much love right now, and oh, I'm feeling my inhibitions have dropped, and and then you know, two days later we close off quickly because we're like, yeah. oh my god, what did I just do? Uh, <laughs> is, is, is that even possible to be like that? Can I, you know, can, oh my god, I shared things that I would, oh god, did I really say that? You know, there's all this, yeah. all you this can't even like, remember half of it anyway. You know, exactly, <laughs> exactly. You can hardly remember it. But then, then there's that, as you described it, I think the tingles came in my body when you said, yeah, that's that's what we're looking for in all of these quick fix avenues, yeah. and we and we deeply yearn connection. We deeply yearn to be seen, to be held, to be heard, and that's okay that's beautiful and what I feel at times we've been misguided and especially no blame on anybody you know we could look at cultural concepts we can look at how society has been designed we can look at many different uh, habits conditions and so on which definitely play a role but as we open up our awareness we start to go okay wow it could be different in this way so for example you know giving children teenagers um, initiations and, and different uh, different forms of education around sexuality, around yeah. uh, authentic communication, around the things you said, health and wealth, and how the nervous system works and how the how the internal system works. I mean, imagine if we got that information at a young age. And it's and just it's not to say that nobody would go off the rails and nobody would get trauma. Yeah. And no, no, I'm not saying that. But the 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 foundation with which we would be playing with life would be very different very different and i mean i think as well going back to um you're saying about connection 
um, I mean, they've actually proven now that um, addiction is driven by isolation. It's driven by mm. being disconnected and not having, you know, having a community around them or having relationships or, you know. And so, you know, when you look at the sort of the way that people are punished for having addictions, say, you know, getting put away for, for drug dealing or, you know, drug taking, you know, that then isolates them which further takes them away from any kind of healing process because what they really need is the connection mm. um, with other people and also with themselves as well. And um, yeah, and I, like I said, if people actually, yeah, just even understood how their body works and what food they're eating and, you know, when they were younger, it would just, it would change so much. And I think, I think the educational system has definitely got a lot to answer for this. It's just not designed for you know the times that we live in right now there is so much that is just not taught um in terms of yeah money and uh, well-being and just useful things <laughs> you know i mean you literally you're sort of thrown out into the world as a supposed adult with absolutely no clue what's going on and it's no <laughs> wonder that you know we end up sort of drinking and clubbing and or doing all that kind of stuff because we haven't been shown anything else we haven't been taught to do anything else you know, there's this whole transition period for, from leaving school to, you know, being a responsible adult that is just to interpretation, I guess. <laughs> but if we had a few more, you know, a bit more, then maybe we would, you know, set a better foundation, perhaps. And, yeah, I love it. Thank you. It's beautiful. And I would say that that clubbing and that going out in those ways is, is also beautiful because that's where yeah. the soul is naturally yearning for that connection, which it doesn't get, you know, five days a week yeah. or seven days a week in, in certain environments that we put ourselves in. So it kind of, we understand that it's a, it seems to be the only, the only thing that is kind of commercialized and made aware that that's how you do it. And the irony is, is that that type of connecting plugs us into the same system that's been designed to get us to go and work in places we don't love and to yeah. to have addictions and all these other uh, habits to uphold the society built and designed through also the education system as you so beautifully <laughs> said which takes us into going oh we've got to learn maths english geography and then go out there and get a job and hopefully be able to pay the bills to to go to holiday two times you know maybe two weeks a year and fund the system that's at play out there so, of course, mm -hmm. what else is going on? Well, I could go on holiday. Uh, what else could I do? Well, I could uh, uh, play the computer game or I could go watch for, TV. Watch TV or, or, yeah. or I could go to a nightclub or go maybe I could, yeah, I could get to the <laughs> pub, you know. And, and then you go, well, it's kind of limited on your choices of how yeah. you can actually create. And what I'm talking about here is real connection. So we're not even talking yeah. about something outside of yourself actually how to deeply connect internally without the need for anything externally. And that's really the kind of flip the pancake that, that I, that my, you know, my mission or my vision is all about now. And even the, even after this book will be, you know, more that I write about will be continually around this deeper connection to self. And when we have a deeper connection to self love um, and we, and we love ourselves wholeheartedly and realize that we are love we are these unique manifestations of life force we are miracles in flesh we are phenomenal beings i mean just the fact that we exist 
is enough. We matter. And that is purpose in and of itself. Not that you have to now go and become somebody amazing before you're going to get love or before you're going to be acknowledged or before you have a success or before you're, you're recognized as being somebody. When that falls away, that outer projection is no longer needed. Then, as you can see, the systems in place that have upheld that desire and those habits will also crumble. Mm -hmm. And that is what we're actually seeing now more than ever before. We're seeing the crumbling of a civilization that there's an awakening taking place. And, you know, you can see this in the, the generation below us and the generation below us. They're coming into these, these world now with a very different consciousness. And so I see this, the systems that you and I have grown up in, they, you know, they're already outdated. They're just, they're just waiting to dissolve now as the new ones come forth. So, so I'm very excited about new ways of uh, schooling, new education. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of uh, aliveness and great minds birthing uh, new systems, basically. Yeah, and I think basically the, the system, uh, you know, as it's stood so far, has just tried to get people too busy and too to even contemplate the bigger question. It just was so busy trying to like pay for bills, survive, keep our head above the water that you don't actually have, there's a really great book actually called Scarcity that talks about this, where when your, your brain bandwidth, as they call it, you know, the amount of bandwidth that makes you have in your brain is taken up by a scarcity of connection, a scarcity of money, a scarcity of, you know, um, security, then you really don't have the brain bandwidth to be able to contemplate longer term plans, the bigger picture, what you actually want to do with your life. It's just literally possible you you don't even have the the bandwidth to be able to think about that and that's what the system has tried to create is this just busyness you know just just all you're focused on is your survival and that's it you know and i think yeah those are the systems that are like i said they're, they're crumbling now they're changing now because people are realizing that there is actually more to life <laughs> to use the cliche than just eating sleeping working watching tv you know Right. And it's so lovely you bring up the word scarcity because people might be mm -hmm. thinking, ah, oh, the book's called Burglar to Buddha. And, and actually, uh, what's this scarcity? Well, there you go. I grew up in scarcity yeah. mentality. I grew up in what me and my brother term poverty paradigm. And right. what, what, what you've just highlighted and we've gone on this wonderful uh, dance with is that when we come to scarcity, and as you describe, we're scarce in our time. It's constantly scarce in our connection, our money, security. And so, you know, the invitation, you know, burglar to Buddha is the invitation is to go inside and, yeah. and become, the, become the abundant Buddhas that we already are. Become the abundance that is all around us and we're constantly given to. We are, we are living, breathing abundance we are given to in so many miraculous ways we're constantly being given to but we have because of the scarcity programming mm -hmm. we we have been built into what is called core unworthiness program and it's the yeah. this is this is amazing because most of society consumerism is actually financially phenomenally wealthy because of the ability to play into humans program of unworthiness yeah so that links into scarcity and so on and we don't have to talk so much about it now but just for everyone listening when you start to see these these patterns of our conditioning that's how we can go ah i'm gonna i'm gonna change that i have to rewire my operating system 
And that's where we come into meditation, which I, mm-hmm. which I, which I point to in the book as well. It's the journey that I went on, took me inside, not outside. And when we start to go inside, we start to uncover the blocks and barriers that have held us back from the truth of who we are. And so, yeah, that's, that's basically the story, isn't it? It's going from scarcity to abundance. You know, it's going from um, a life of crime to the divine. You know, you, you just this massive transformation because it is an epic transformation. I mean, like I said, you know, some sort of hero's journeys, you know, go on a bit of a character arc. You know, you have a few things changed by the end, but, you know, you've become this completely different person um, to a point where I think at one point during the, the process, you were saying that it was actually quite difficult to get into that mindset again of where you were you know? uh, yeah you mean when i was writing when i was writing yeah, yes i yeah. think I, yeah i probably terrorized you a bit with the edited on that one i don't know, I don't know. yeah yeah um, it was, because yeah. you were so further you were so far away from where you were that it was trying to bring the book together trying to marry the story together from where you were to where you are was it was quite a jump wasn't it really you know the because <laughs> it is such a, a change it is such a difference between um yeah where you were and where you are now um but obviously for the purpose of to be a bit more of a gradual (laughs) um change otherwise it's too much of a jump for the reader to take as well yeah which you yeah which you which you also as editor as well really yeah supported that with uh with the way that you led that that was great i i guess i can just say there was but again it was the book was giving me everything i needed yeah so even that even that resistance that i had at times was enabling me to do what you said is in, required, which is actually to go back into those spaces mm. and fill them. So actually it was kind of, it was very beneficial in the, in the end, because I, I just noticed that I was kind of having a little resistance to go there as if like, Oh, if I go there, I'm, I'm going to somehow lose who I've become. Right. And, and actually that wasn't the case. It actually did what you mentioned. We kind of come, come full circle, which is amazing. Um, it kind of, what you mentioned a little bit earlier in the, in the conversation, it gave me the opportunity to really feel myself back then. And I really, I really had a, a very new relationship to the younger Simon. I, yeah. really, I really felt him like never before. Yeah, I felt him, I felt him more now than I ever felt myself back then because I didn't feel back then this is really important I I wasn't feeling if I was feeling back then so much of that life story wouldn't have happened like that no yeah so I had uh, so I had to actually go back and and really feel that Simon that needed my awareness and my love and my appreciation and 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 to say hey you know we uh we did good we, we made it together. I even get tears in my eyes if I say this now. Like my older self really said, hey, bro, it's okay. We, uh, we did the best we could and, and here we are. We're still here. Because at the end of the day, I mean, you know, not to get too esoteric, but, you know, in terms of time, you know, time in itself doesn't really exist in a linear fashion. Everything's happening all at once. Right. So that younger you is, exists now you know Mm. and in a way you know you're almost changing the past by your understanding of it you know you're actually you know improving the way things were by your you know by your healing and by your understanding and I mean that's that's essentially what sort of inner child work is about isn't it you know it's actually you know seeing your younger self with compassion seeing your younger self and, and understanding that your younger self was doing the very best they possibly could with the programming 
and with the tools and everything that they had at the time. And, um, and also uh, there's a, I know you mentioned um, Neil Donald Walsh in the book as one of the authors that you read quite a lot of when you were, you know, transforming. And um, there's a quote that he, something he said years ago that always stuck with me. And I think it's quite appropriate to the story is that nobody does anything appropriate based on their model of the world. Mm, beautiful. Everything that you did as a, as a young man, you know, was completely appropriate within your model of the world. And I think people reading the story who have never been in that situation, they've never been on the poverty line, they've never been, you know, enticed by criminal activity. You know, if they've never been in that place, it's because their model of the world is different to yours. And that's, that, that, you know, that's, that's the only difference. So it's completely appropriate within your model of your world. And, um, and I think when you understand that, then I think you can have more compassion, not only for your younger self, but obviously for other people in a similar situation. That's a deep breath in gold dust. <laughs> I've always, it's, that always hit me in the chest when he, the moment he said that, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> because we do, we do have judgment on ourselves, you know, for things that we've done in the past. We have judgment on other people for the things that they do, um, whether it's to themselves or to us. And yeah, when you really look at their, their model and where they've come from, it makes complete sense. And I think that's, that's a good way of being able to have complete and utter compassion um, for ourselves and for people is to understand that. Um, yeah. So, you know, when I, when I look at your model of the world and burglar, you know, in the story in burglar to Buddha, you know, I'm just like, wow. Well, if, yeah, of course that appropriate, you know, to where you were coming from, to what you were doing. Um, it makes complete sense. Mm. Wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> I, I really, I don't, I don't have so much to say to that because it's so, it's so lovely how you, how you broke that down. I, I think if, if that, if we could live with that little bit of awareness for our brothers mm -hmm. and sisters, yeah. then we, we would have a very different projection on what we're seeing when we look outward. And, and then also and, for ourselves, you know, I mean, of course. understanding that, you know, I mean, a lot of people do carry so much guilt. And I mean, to be fair, you know, you could some book and be like, wow, like, how can he live with himself for doing X, Y, or Z or whatever? Mm -hmm. And, you know, you could be just living with a huge amount, but you understand that where you were was, was what molded your actions, was what molded your life. And you learned from that and you understood that and you've healed that and you've changed that and you've made different decisions and you've owned up to and expressed all of these stories for everybody to see. <laughs> I was just going to say, so Brené Brown. Oh, says, yes, I love she, Brené. Yeah, I love Brené Brown. Oh. So Bre Brené Brown, she says so beautifully, right, that guilt, guilt is, you know, I did something wrong. Shame is I am wrong. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and I love that distinction because, yeah. Whenever we're in guilt or shame, which we all, you know, majority of people maybe listening to this and most, most humans on the planet go through moments of guilt and shame through something yep. they've done or whatever. And when we're younger, we do certain things and our parents, unconsciously or not, pound us with a load of guilt and shame because they grew up with guilt and shame. Yep. And, it goes, and we go on this guilt and shame trail. So, you know, one of the greatest steps of liberation that I found and that I support others with now 
is to actually integrate the guilt and shame to realize that we have not done anything wrong and we are definitely not wrong, right? Mm -hmm. In in terms of like, that is just a a concept and a construct that is so damaging for us because when I work, I work now with sexuality as well and the amount of guilt and shame, like deeply embedded into the belief systems of those I meet is astounding and in order to access the love that you and I have spoken about today and that awareness and that compassion as you so beautifully described a moment ago like we have to have that self-compassion we have to go inside and and allow ourselves to refine and purify the blocks and barriers and the false beliefs that we have ultimately acquiesced to we agreed to and and as you know intention and and confirmation is is powerful so if i if i agree to something like yes i am wrong yes i am wrong or i did wrong yes i did wrong i mean that takes that's not just like oh yeah and then now just say for the next few days a couple of affirmations and like yeah no (laughs) i'm not i'm not wrong i'm not wrong i'm not wrong that doesn't work right (laughs) you resist persist (laughs) right exactly i'd love i wish it would work but you know we have to go in and we have to uncover for ourselves you know, really those, um, those deep-rooted belief systems that are, that are wiring us and they're wiring our emotions, our thoughts, our personality. And as you know, our personalities create our personal realities. So therefore, if we don't look at all of these different parts of our behaviors and the mechanisms of our mind by taking some pause, some silence, meditation would be something that I would invite then, you know, we, we will just keep playing repetitively over and over again, the same belief constructs. We will go into relationships and just get mirrored our shame and guilt. We will go into the workplace and get, sh- get mirrored our shame and guilt. You know, we will get mirrored that which we truly believe inside of us. And it will just keep showing up as a cycle until we're willing to face it. And yeah, that's the invitation really, isn't it? The whole yeah. story is about you know look at you know where you were what you did you know like I said own up to it accept it express it yeah I did that because I think that's one of the first steps isn't it I mean that's that's kind of one of the first steps of addiction isn't it accepting and and you know expressing yes I did that you know yes that was the situation but it doesn't have to define you it doesn't have to be your story for the rest of your life and I think Mm. you know a lot of we we say that whatever we've done wherever we've been you know it's it's part of us i mean that's why illness i think you know hangs on in some people because it's part of their story and i know for me personally you know <laughs> you know i'll be chatting to somebody and be like oh have you tried this for that or you know and i'll sort of have different solutions or different you know healing methods for different illnesses or issues and they look at me and like what uh, well, how do you know and I'm like, well, you know, because I've experienced those things, but I then found a solution and hey, look, I'm good now. Right. <laughs> and I think, you know, it's about, like I said, creating the life that you want to live and not kind of creating the life you've ended up with by default based on your programming. And um, and also we were saying about personality, you know, I, I realized about two, three years ago that a lot of what I assumed was my personality, I'd accepted as my personality was actually just low self <laughs> and once I identified that, they, those parts of my personality, so-called, just disappeared. They no longer existed in my reality because I realized that wasn't really who I was. That was just how I was programmed to be. And mm. that was not how I chose to be. And I think 
deliberate choosing of your reality this deliberate choosing of who you want to be and how you want to present yourself is really important because most people don't make it a conscious decision they just like i said act their programs they just you know live each day and as we said before they're just trying to survive and get along and they're just trying to get to work and pay the bills and you know um, it's default it's default yeah Yeah. it's automatic it's automatic pilot there's this beautiful book called breaking the habit of being yourself by joe dispenza and and there's a wonderful 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 book that really goes into this and and there's this thing of like you know there's this saying in this corner self-development world or spiritual world if you want that you know your your thoughts create reality right this is kind of a a big a big narrative that's there and and you know you can you can meet lots of people and you go hey do, do, do you uh, do you believe that thoughts create your reality and they might say um, yeah yeah definitely and say okay so what did you do this morning as soon as you woke up to control your thoughts mm-hmm. right what did you do this morning to wake up and stop for a minute sit in silence and see which thoughts you are about to give life because your thoughts create your reality and if you really truly believed it wouldn't you actually make a conscious decision to make sure that you would be checking in to see which thought patterns are actually driving your behaviors. And the answer is, I mean, if anybody with the right mind would say, yes, of course I would. So then it begs the question, do you really believe thoughts create your reality? You see? And I, and I just love that because, you know, my meditation practice, my morning practice, whatever you want to call it, my, is, is exactly for that. It's like day to day, I wake up and I make a conscious decision of how I want my day to go. And I take full responsibility. And this actually comes in a little bit to what you spoke about previously, is that this is about full responsibility. Yes. Can I take full responsibility for who I am, what I've been, where I've been, how I am now, and the actions, choices, and decisions I make and contribute to this beautiful ecosystem that we get to to play in? And that, that is a game changer. But that is mm-hmm. not, that is, again, not easy to say. And to actually live and embody requires what I love to call, I don't know if you've heard me say this before, but blissipline, not mm-hmm. discipline, because discipline is a bit scary, especially for some of the divine women out there. I know it can sound a bit masculine discipline. It's like, oh, we've got yeah. to be disciplined, we've got to be disciplined. And it sounds a bit military. But I love the word blissipline. Because mm-hmm. on, on, the, on the other side of us making a commitment to bring some discipline in is bliss, right? We, we, you know, it's not like, ah, oh, we have to be all strict and confined and, you know, pound ourselves every day with, uh, you know, uh, what's, you know uh, patriarchal whip of like, you must do this. But actually more, hey, I'm, I'm taking responsibility of myself and that's my bliss, I'm, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit in silence today or go for a walk in the park. I'm going to, you know, do self-loving acts because that's my bliss. I'm going to do that because I'm the creator of my reality and I choose how my day is uh, designed, not, not society, not my boss, not my parents, not anybody else. And that, you know, this is, this is really where we come. I love this. This, this conversation is going in a beautiful dance. It's taken us all the way into sovereignty. And sovereignty mm-hmm. for me is that. It's a... Uh, you know, how, how aligned are my words and actions? Because that's my integrity. And how much am I really taking responsibility for my own freedom of choice? And this right now on the planet is kind of interesting because, you know, we're going through a transition right now where we're getting seen by the clamping down of 
authority government domination in certain areas and being told we have to do this this and this and it's like whoa wait there you know let me come back to myself if i'm taking full responsibility for me and who i am let me decide on whether this is a, a yes yeah. or a no or you know th this is for me or not for me uh, let me come back to me and what we're noticing michelle and this may be a talk for another time but what we know what we're noticing is actually people are very 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 quickly want to give over their power to some yes. outside authority. And, you know, when you deeply love yourself and go on this path of inner inquiry, you know, you don't, you don't give yourself away to anybody. And I think um, you were saying about responsibility. To me, responsibility, taking responsibility is empowerment. Yes. Because when we are outwardly blaming or putting, like I said, giving our control to other people, then we're not you know, we're not empowered, you know, and I think, you know, that comes into the whole, I mean, you could have easily have just blamed your circumstances, you know, you could have been like, I grew up on a council estate, I was surrounded by gangs, you know, of, you know, of course, I. but you didn't, you took full responsibility for your, you took full responsibility for who you were then, you know, what you did and what you created, and then you decided to change it. And I think that's, that's the the powerful part is that you know anything could be going on in our lives anything could have happened to us as well as you know happened because of the choices we made and we can say i take full responsibility for all of this but now i i choose something different i just i am deciding you know to change my path from this moment on and i think it's a, it is it is empowerment like i said you know if, if we give our power to you know other people to other to to the systems you know we're, we're just basically saying you know, it's like you know you go to the doctor and you say there's this wrong with me fix me right. you know and it's you're giving your power to that person in authority and saying you know it's in your hands and at the end of the day that person hasn't got the time <laughs> nor the inclination generally to actually fix you you know so then you could say oh well you know i didn't heal because they didn't do their job exactly or, you know and you can then blame, you know, somebody else. You can say, oh, well, you know, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. And I and I get that people don't want to be blamed for, you know, their circumstances or their illness or whatever. But I don't see it as blame. I see it as when you take full responsibility for the actions you've made, for the situation you've created, for the reality that you currently exist in, that means that you can change it. If you are fully responsible for it, you can change it. If somebody else is responsible for it, you can't change it. Right. So there you go. You know, what is responsibility? The ability to respond. All we're, yeah. all we're inviting people in to go, oh, I, I actually have the ability to respond to my situation. I don't have to react unconsciously. I can respond with conscious awareness. Yeah. And just, and just, just that shift. Please, yeah, jump in. Feel free. But yeah, I just and, want to say then, just that shift is, yeah. is, is immense. Absolutely. Because, like I said, you can then change it if you want to. <laughs> and I think that's the other point as well. You know, a lot of people, you know, they don't necessarily want to change their circumstances. You know, they are sort of in a space and that's, the, you know, that's where they are for their own, for their own soul path, for their own growth. And that's, that's also great. You know, it's not, you know, we're not, you know neither of us are out to try and like change people or you know set people on a different path but it's about bringing that awareness so that they can decide for themselves as a conscious decision is this the life i want to live is this where i want to be or do i want something different beautifully said and i would i would add a little caveat to that is that i don't want to change anyone no no and i have a vision of an awakened species walking this planet in a 
beautifully harmonious, loving, supportive, co-creative, collaborative communities of, of awareness popping up all over the planet where we really break out of the idea of separation and really, yeah. and really drop in to the fact that we are mirrors of each other. We're all coming from the same source and that we, when we come together, you know, I often picture um, uh, ants, you know, like how <laughs> ants are, right? Yeah. And how, like, I don't know if you know much about them. I mean, I don't know a lot, but I know that like colonies of ants and the way that they can like, you know, they can be ferociously taking over things, you know, they're, they're, they're crazy. But the way they work together, I mean, I, I might have a limited view on this, but the ones that I've, you know, looked at and researched a little, it's like the way they work together is, is of another level, yeah? Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes I feel like how nature works with, it, with itself and, and, uh, and each other in the, in the way the ecosystem is, the way the soil of this planet is the soul of our mother, right? And mm-hmm. when, we, when we start to have that connection back to ourselves, as we're pointing to today in today's talk, we naturally connect in a much more intimate, uh, much more intimately with nature itself to the point where we merge with nature. There's a unification that happens with nature. And then through that, we start to be more coherent with the, uh, the organism that we are, right? Rather than it's like, sometimes it seems this separate species that's just yeah. out there, you know, to just get what it can, take what it can, you know, stamp on and walk over anything in its way and not actually listen to the voice of nature that's given us great direction, as in with permaculture and so on and so forth. When we listen to the, the messages of nature, we actually learn what is needed for our own evolution. So this, I know this kind of might sound a bit off topic, but for me, it's totally not off topic because yeah. it links us into the interconnection of all that is. And that's really where, you know, meditation takes us. And then we won't, we won't have this idea of separation. We won't have wars. We won't have so much violence and we won't have so much um, uh, rapes and murders and all this other stuff that comes from the idea that the image of ourselves is separate from everybody else, and therefore we need to fight for our survival. This is what you mentioned with the scarcity, and you linked it in with the this uh, inappropriateness when you said based on the model of the world. So you yep. see, again, it kind of comes around to all of that, where we shift our worldview, when we open our hearts and we start to look with our real eyes and we start to see the interconnectedness of all that is, we just, there's certain behaviors, Michelle, and you kind of said this earlier as well, when you were looking at your self-esteem issues, they just drop away. You don't even need to go uh, have so much coaching or going, you know, have to analyze it. It's just like, oh, actually that, I see that very differently now. So I don't actually have to act like that anymore. And it's understanding, you know, where our reactions come from, why we react in a certain way. And I think just, like I said, just by looking that and understanding that, you can then go, well, next time I'm going to react different. I'm going to respond differently. You know, I'm not going to just react. I'm going to actually respond to it. And, you know, I think, uh, well, I mean, from the low self-esteem issue, it, it's it's the idea of looking like an idiot. That's the problem. You know, we put so much stock on what other people think of us. We, we put so much, you know, power in other people's hands over us, you know, worrying about what they think, worrying about how they see us, worrying about what people will say, that we don't live in our truth that we don't actually act in the way that we want to act because we're just afraid of looking stupid. <laughs> mm. and, um, and yet most of the time, you know, if we just put ourselves out there and just did it, 
then yeah, they'll be the people who'll react and go, oh, you know, what an idiot. Oh, they're delusional. They're crazy. And then mm. there'll be other people who go, oh my God, I completely get what they're saying. And I can't believe I'm not the only one who feels like that. And again, it comes down to the separation that we feel we're the only ones who have felt this way. We're the only ones in the situation. We're the only ones that are suffering or experiencing this. And when you see other people experiencing and, you know, suffering through or, you know, being through the same thing, then it takes away those barriers. It takes away, you know, that it takes away the shame, I think, you know, because there's a lot of shame in, in feeling like you're the only person who was like completely messed up. Mm, and I love that. That connection, it is down to, you know, then being able to connect. I mean, you know, I mean, some of the stuff that I, you know, written in, in blogs or you know on posts or whatever i mean you've probably had the same situation where people's then messaged and gone oh my god <laughs> i can't believe that you know you felt that too i you know I, I i thought you know especially around money especially around health especially around sexuality i mean you know you're saying wow, that, yes you know there's just so much that people think oh you know they're too ashamed to sort of ask somebody hey have you ever felt like this as well have you ever experienced that have you ever done that you know and as soon as people start openly sharing you know this information people go oh well goodness i thought that i was the only you know strange one who felt that way mm. and it just takes away all of that the the shame and the strangeness and the weirdness around it and you sort of, you start to feel like oh okay well that that's actually quite normal in air quotes <laughs> you know that's 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 fine other people have felt the same way i'm not i'm not the only one and that feeling of i'm not the only one i think is the main avenue towards you know feeling the oneness with other people with feeling that connection and compassion with other people <sighs> so this has been well this, I love, this conversation I, I, I love has been it. quite an epic journey in itself <laughs> i i agree i i i remember you saying like oh we just you know we go with the flow see how long and it's just like i feel like we've we've weaved we've weaved through the whole fabric of uh <laughs> of relating and, and being here and I, I've really appreciated it yeah no it's been really really great and obviously I hope everybody listening is uh, enjoying it as well and also we'll check out your book Burglar to Buddha um, when it does come out which will be we're, we're aiming for the end of June aren't we so you know exactly. hopefully everybody, everybody will be able to grab a copy um, and it'll be out in paperback hardback and kindle and uh, yeah and we'll, we will talk again because I think this conversation needs to be continued <laughs> I would love that. Yes, we can do some, uh, we can do some, uh, maybe even if your listeners have something they, they have questions around or something or a specific topic, we can dive in and, and share around that too. Yeah, that'd be amazing. So, so yeah, thank you for joining me today, Simon. Is there anything else you wanted to add for our listeners? I just want to say thank you to you really, because as I said at the beginning, without you and Liz and really supporting me to, take this out into the world in, in the way that I wanted to as well, it wouldn't be here. So all I want to say to everybody is follow your truth. Invite yourself to look at where you're lying and know that you can love yourself for whatever you've experienced in your life. And if, you've, if you love this book when it comes out and it touches your heart in some way, then you know, share the love forward and, and let us all co-create this beautiful world that our hearts know is possible. Amazing. So Burglar to Buddha is out in, in June 2021 this year, <laughs> so not long. Um, it'll be out in uh, Kindle paperback and hardback. 
And in the meantime, if you want to check out any of other, Simon's other work, we will put some links um, on this podcast. But also he has a book called Self Love Now. Um, which is available to buy in paperback and Kindle, isn't it, Simon? Yes. And that's all different stories of self-love, which is one of the topics that we've been talking about in this podcast. If you're interested mm. in that, do check that out. And um, yeah, we will be back with another conversation quite soon, I think. And, um, and also some excerpts from the book as well. So do tune into the next episode. Uh, we'll see you again then. Bye. <laughs>